0: I'm Sarah Bivens.
1: And I'm Matthew Bivens.
0: We had a home birth back in 2016.
1: So we started a podcast about it.
0: And then grew it into a birth brand to help future and current parents believe in their success with home birth.
1: This is the place to hear home birth stories along with helpful resources and tips to feel empowered and supported in your birth journey.
0: This is Doing It At Home. It's a beautiful day to talk home birth. You are listening to Doing It At Home. I'm Sarah. Thank you for being here. We appreciate you. Make sure you hit subscribe. Make sure you follow us. Make sure you drop a review. Check out all the ways to connect with Doing It At Home in our show notes. Today, I am honored to welcome back to the show for the second time, our friend, Dr. Nathan Riley. And this is our first new episode of 2022. So, yay! We first had Nathan on the show back in episode 243, and we are now at 365. So, it's been a minute. If you would like to listen to that first episode with Nathan, look at the show notes where, whatever device you are listening with, whatever platform you're using, there is a show description and then there's links for you. Check that out. That has the link to the previous episode, it'll have a link to all the ways to connect with doing it at home. Make sure you're following us. Make sure you're subscribed to the show, drop a review if you would like to check out our online resources, our merch, our book on Amazon, if you would like to reach out to myself or Matthew about our coaching, our lifestyle coaching for mothers and fathers. We have different programs for you tailored to wherever you are in preconception to postpartum and parenthood really about providing you with support, accountability, and tools to be aligned and balanced in all the aspects of your life from spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, and social. So if you're interested in that and you're interested in going into one of our programs, please feel free to reach out. You can email us directly, hello at diahpodcast.com, or you can go to our website, diahpodcast.com, and there's a contact form there for you. So back to the conversation today, Uh, you know, we have had a lot of conversations on this show, done a lot of episodes, done a lot of interviews, been around for a couple of years here and I don't like to play favorites and this conversation with Nathan is up there for me in terms of impact, in terms of power, in terms of just the energy of it. It's so, so magical, y'all. I'm really excited for you to hear it. I don't want to give away too much, um, but Nathan shares the details of his recent home birth. He and his wife, Stephanie, welcomed their second baby girl into the world in their home. And then we also get into a bit of Nathan's journey as a doctor, as a physician, from hospital model and system of care to what he's doing now and how he is supporting parents as well as birth workers and questioning the system and honoring and trusting the process of birth in such a beautiful way. And to just get his perspective as a partner, as a husband, as a father, and as a doctor, sharing his birth story and then also sharing his visions and the space that he's holding for birth. So, so inspiring. And he lists off a ton of really great resources in the conversation, places and people for you to check out if you are interested in this kind of conversation that we have here today. And so I'm going to have those in the show notes as well to make sure that you can find all of those really great rich resources that he lists out. So without any further ado, Quick word from our sponsor, and then you will hear from Dr. Nathan Riley. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Nathan, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being you. It's,
1: thank you. It's great to be back with you. Uh, Sarah and Matthew Bivens. It's been a journey for us. I reached out to you initially when we were, um, when I was still in San Diego practicing hospital-based OBGYN and now- I'm in a very different place in my life.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're still
1: friends, which is really cool.
0: (laughs) It is cool. I love that. And we've both, myself and Matthew, separately, which I love, been on your show recently. And that's going to be coming out here shortly. And I'll be sure to share that um, within our channels and Get people over to your podcast because it is amazing. And all of the resources that you've been creating and just who you're being and how you're showing up in the space is so inspiring. And I am more than thrilled to share you and anything that you're doing here at Doing It at Home. I feel
1: the exact same way. Um, <laughs> you guys are uh, are sort of, um, you don't even know it, but you're kind of mentors to me. It's like, man, how can I be more like them? <laughs> So um I'm I'm really happy that we've stayed in touch over
0: mm, the years. Same. That's received. And you know, there's a lot of synergy and alignment. So let's let's see what we create here today. I feel like it's gonna be very magical. <laughs> <laughs> um, Me too Yeah, so so you mentioned a lot has changed and We're going to get into that, I'm sure And I'm sure that's kind of woven into the story here um, But just for those who haven't listened to the first episode that we did with Nathan You definitely need to go listen to that I'm going to include a link to that in the show notes And everywhere we put this episode If you do want to kind of pause and listen to part one, so to speak um, You don't necessarily have to um, But if you just kind of want that context But I'm sure we'll get into how a lot of that has shifted And how it's influenced you and as your family has grown But I guess take us to when you became pregnant with your second and kind of what the thought process was there and how you planned for that birth because uh, it was a little bit different logistically from your first birth.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, bear in mind that my wife and I've been together all the way through, we met in high school, Mm -hmm. college, med school, residency, fellowship, and now like real life doctor life. And um, so we've known each other for a very long time and she's grown up in the medical system in the way that I have because we've been together for almost that entire period apart from when I was in med school we did separate for a period of time and then the stars brought us back into alignment but I think that um, you know the process of medical training I, I go deep into this in a recent solo cast I released on my, my, um, my podcast The Holistic OBGYN where I really talk about like from the beginning how did I get into the system and then what kind of you know, kind of forced me to, to sort of reconcile the issues I had with the system and then ultimately step out. But that actually plays into the birth stories as well. So when we had a baby the first time, I think we were both kind of just feeling like it would be safer to be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. It was a hospital that I, I was already an OBGYN attending there. And um, we found a great OBGYN who gave us a very natural, unmedicated, undisturbed birth in the hospital, which is what most people desire if they're going to be in the hospital anyways. But since they knew me and knew my practice, I didn't have to shove people out. I didn't have to tell people don't do that. It was just like, let let her be and a baby came out, right? Mm-hmm. So it was already a really great experience. But then fast forward about, oh gosh, it was, Penny was like 14, 15 months and we found out we were pregnant again. It's not like we weren't not trying, but we certainly didn't plan to have a second baby during the the COVID era. Mm-hmm. And um so the first time, of course, we weren't in lockdown. And then the second time around, I had already been drifting from the system. I'd stopped hospital-based OBGYN because I just couldn't stand being called in to do C-sections for bad reasons. I couldn't just, I just was fed up with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, and simultaneously then with the COVID thing, which nobody needs any explanation that will live in infamy this, this 20 months or so that we've been living in with this COVID, in the hospital system. People still don't really know what to do, right? Everybody has to wear masks. Sometimes the birthing woman has to wear a mask in some states. Um, In this hospital, in particular, I don't think that they were requiring masks, but they were swabbing you when you go in. And heaven forbid, one of the parents had a positive COVID swab from their yeah. nares. So then, what happens to their, you know, to you and the baby? Does the baby get quarantined until you get a negative test? I mean, like, there's all these sort of what ifs. Yeah. And um, I think Stephanie and I both realized, man, the first birth went pretty smoothly let's, um, let's start entertaining the idea of doing a home birth. And in some ways it's kind of me putting my money where my mouth is. Cause I've been talking about the virtues of home birth ever since we met. I, I mean, I reached out and I said, listen, I've, I support you. I think that this is actually where women should be giving birth. Most women, not every woman, but most women. And, uh, so we did, we hired a, a local midwife and, and then the birth, I mean, it was, uh, Stephanie's does really well in pregnancy. Um, at 40 weeks on the dot, her water broke at 5 p.m. We called our friend Sarah, who has a company called Effigy Breathwork, and uh, she did a breathing session with us. It's a hyperventilatory, conscious hyperventilation where you're hyper wow. so it's actually very safe in pregnancy and in, in the birth process. And we started breathing with her. She, lay, you know, we, I set up the birth tub. We had the whole room rearranged, like we had it all rehearsed. We did the thing. Then we laid down on the bed, and Stephanie's contractions were starting to pick up a little bit, but we're only an hour into what you know some some people experience this like 48 hours of labor. So we were only one hour in thinking this is going to be a long haul. The first time was just good luck, six hours total, maybe of labor. And, uh, we started breathing. This type of breathing kind of takes you out of your body. Didn't take Stephanie out of her body, but I was like out in outer space, your hands and feet kind of cramp up a little bit. You're, you're sort of incapacitated, but Stephanie was very consciously breathing through her contractions using this breath work. And even Sarah said, you went deeper, Stephanie, than I've seen you ever go with breath. And, um, Six forty Stephanie asked Sarah to pack up and leave Our midwife was there she had a midwife student and an actual a physician actually locally who's trying to attend home births now and um, she's another good friend of mine her name's Rebecca Cohen and our midwife her name is Jenna oligas in case anybody in the area wants a good team their Jenna was amazing so they came up and they were like wide eyed because we have this like heavy drumming kind of like deep house sort of music playing and we're both like <gasps> Wow. I mean, it was it was powerful. There was so much energy in that room, and then Stephanie was kind of nudging me, like, "Nate, Nate, I think the baby's coming," and so she could feel this the baby descending mm. and the portal opening. And sure enough, Sarah leaves, gets in her car at six forty one. The midwife is there, Rebecca, our doctor's there, uh, Mika, the midwife students there, and Jenna responsibly says, "Stephanie, let me just." let me just see what's going on. You're telling me things are changing. And like the head is there basically. Wow. So in two pushes, the baby's out at 646. So we had basically two hours of labor. And um, now that is not the experience that every woman has. And I don't think that there's any secret to having that. I think Stephanie mm-hmm. did really take care of her body. I think she is very conscious about and very intuitive about what goes in and what comes out mm-hmm. and how to move right. And she stretches a lot. And there was some exercise periodically throughout the pregnancy, but there's no like secret method. I think her body really actually just handles this process super well and she's also 35 so she's elderly multigravid or whatever right <laughs> right so baby came out asleep without any head deformation and ah. just was sleeping right on her chest moments after birth in fact to get the apgar scores which is how we score babies transition to the outside the 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 you know outside of the the uh, uterus we had to wake the baby up And the midwife said 10 and 10, but that never really happens. It was like maybe nine and 10, but that's like a perfect score. So this was a perfect birth. As far as I could tell objectively, I think Stephanie, of course, would tell a different story, but even for her, she said this was very healing. Mm. She leaned into the process this time, as opposed to getting to the precipice and then holding back. So for her, it was very powerful. For me, it was very powerful. And we got to just snuggle up with our baby right in our bedroom. Didn't even get into the birth tub, Sarah.
0: (laughs) <laughs> what a waste of all that water. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: you hear about um, But that it was
0: sometimes. magical.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it was, you know, from an objective standpoint, it is the dreamy home birth experience. And mm. I couldn't be more proud of my wife and of that little baby. Um, and now we're just in nesting, nesting phase. It's been about five weeks now. And um, it's been great to just have her at home. We never had to go to the hospital. We never had any medical issues. We never got the vitamin k shots or the goop in the eye yeah. we didn't have to clean her off right away we left the placenta attached for like well over an hour mm-hmm. and then um a couple hours later the team left and we were left alone to watch dune and just
0: oh that's amazing <laughs> try to
1: try, try to like lean into the the experience of being parents again so yeah like the, that's our birth story
0: that's incredible yeah you messaged me i think the day of and you're just like yeah we just had a baby over here so you know <laughs> It just sounded so normal, you know the whole, the whole thing. That's so incredible. And where was um, Penny while this was going on?
1: So our whole family came. Uh, well, Stephanie's mom, my mom, and her husband Paul came. They were staying in town at a local Airbnb, and um, they actually came. They were actually there. We were actually seeding the yard. We were digging up the grass and reseeding it and Stephanie texted and said, Hey, I'm okay. I don't want you to sound the alarm or anything, but my water definitely just broke Mm. and, you know, just let you know. And I said, okay, well, I went in and checked and her mom was doing Reiki on her. She looked pretty uncomfortable. And I I said, let me call Jenna. And, uh, I went out and told all the rents. I said, Hey, I think it's time to go to the Airbnb. So they kind of just dropped everything, grabbed Penny, grabbed all the stuff we had prepared for them, um, grabbed the two dogs and went to the Airbnb. And, um, we had contemplated having Penny stay for it, but I, Given how young she is, I don't. I don't know. I just don't know what the right age is. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's a good argument to have kids there. I don't know if at eighteen months if she's really ready for that necessarily. I just don't have a right answer. I'm actually kind of curious what you think mm-hmm. uh, about about having a very 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 young child at the birth, and she doesn't have context. She doesn't have really any understanding as to why mom is screaming and maybe in pain and there's blood and you know it just i don't know what you what do you think about that for
0: sure i mean of course it's it's situational and i think it's knowing your child and their personality and whatever sort of predisposition they might have or what sort of exposure or conversations that you've had with them I, we've thought about it constantly since having maya and then thinking about future births you know at at almost every year you know with would we want her there? Would we not? Yeah. And I think, I think looking back now and understanding who she is at five, she just turned five. I think she would be fully capable, fully in it. And I would have no question about having her here. And I would still have a contingency if it didn't, you know, seem like it was going to suit everyone or serve everyone. But now I can say with the most confidence that at this stage or anything going forward, I would offer her that option. And I think she would be fully be able to be capable of it. And I also feel like my energy energy could stay focused on where it needs to be rather than worrying about her. Whereas when she was probably anything younger than this, even if she was fine, I don't know if I would have been I think I would have been, you know, still having my my focus on her if I could even hear her crying or something like that in the other room. I don't know if I would have been able to like dial in and and drop in. So that's just my personal, you know, knowing Maya and her personality. But, you know, yeah. we've seen all the examples and how and how it works and goes. And um, I think it's all it's all beautiful that you even have that option, you know, that you can even explore that and have that sort of conversation. And even if they're not physically there for the birth to have them there right right after or to have the ability for them to be right up with baby, you know, and connecting with them, which they, you know, might not be able to do in the hospital. So, um, it, it is interesting. We've had all, all forms of that conversation in this household as we've thought about, you know, other births or future children, what we would want to do. But, uh, yeah, I, I get it.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think one, one concerning thing for anybody out there listening is if an 18 month old, I mean, she's very dependent on Stephanie for comfort yeah. and for checking in with her feelings. And I mean, of course she could do that with me, but I'm also there holding space for Stephanie and totally. Stephanie is holding space for the unfolding of the cosmic birth, Yeah, you know, this, this sacred process, it's not a medical procedure. And if we can say it's not a medical procedure, then that actually puts a lot of the, the onus on, on the, the woman giving birth to, to really be checking in with herself and checking in with spirit and and allowing this process to unfold and not holding back and struggling with the, this transformation that's happening. And if that, if that's all true, which I believe it is, then, then if Penny needs comfort from her in that moment, I don't know if Stephanie would have been able to give her that. And so if she got scared, if she got, um, I don't know, scared is probably the most likely scenario. Like what's mm-hmm. happening? I need you to check in with me. She starts pinging as Jim uh, Kim John Payne describes in uh, mm-hmm. The Soul of Discipline. And Stephanie wouldn't be there necessarily to be able to be present with Penny. So that was probably the largest decision uh, deciding yeah. factor was like, hey, I'm not exactly sure where Penny's going to turn if we need to fall back on the contingency plan. Yeah. And in the moment, it might not be you know, Yaya, my mom, or Abby, Stephanie's mom. That would really be able to provide her the, the 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 care that she needed. So, I could see it going both ways, but we yeah. decided to just have everybody move off to the Airbnb. We had our own little sacred sanctuary in the bedroom set up, and um, I don't have any regrets. I think it was beautiful.
0: That's awesome. And you mentioned being, you know, proud of Stephanie, witnessing, you know, her go through two births now, um, different yeah. different kinds of experiences. It's just this this evolution, this unfolding of her as a, as a woman, as a mother, as a goddess, all of that, just what, what else do you feel like you learned either about her and then I'm sure yourself, but I just, I'd love to hear any insight as far as what you got out of this birth experience that was kind of a a new understanding. (sighs)
1: You know, the phrase trusting birth comes to mind, mm. you know, like w- when people use that word, sometimes they're like early in their midwife training. Like let's contrast that with the the experienced birthing woman or an experienced midwife or something who, yes, we trust in birth. And we know that there are some things that might require us to rush to the hospital. I think that this really did. Um, I think for me, it was a total surrender to the process. And I think I was able to do that because I could see Stephanie completely in um, in control of her, of her soul, you know, a guide being guided by her soul, I should say. Um, and that is actually where the trust in birth happens. It has nothing to do with if you give birth at home, if you free birth, if you're in the hospital, it's a matter of like stepping back and holding space for the unknown. And I saw, and I, I think that I was able to rest into this a little bit more because it was like, if I, if I didn't see, I mean, I saw power the first time, this time was a complete like I saw the the dark goddess energy coming out mother earth mm-hmm. spirit I mean I saw it emerging from my wife and I don't mean the baby I mean like there was something that that was very obviously happening here in the room and I think that's where the trust in the process comes into play so much so that it actually makes me feel even more grateful to be able to offer women the experience mm-hmm. of having birth at home as opposed to having to To necessarily cater the conversation to, you know, yeah, but all these bad things can also happen. You know, that's how all the pregnancy books start, right? It's like, here, here's like a list of horrible things that can happen to you. And here's maybe 60 pages on like how beautiful birth is. Like now, the foreword of that book in my mind, and maybe if I write a book someday, it's going to be here is 600 pages on the majesty of this process, right? The, The perfect co creative process of spirit. And you get to witness it. You get to sit here and bear witness to it, not with all the distractions and the lights and everything. Here it is. And there may also be these things that we need to consider down the road. But right now, I need you as my patient, as my partner, as my sister, whoever, just to appreciate the reality of what's happening here, which is not, again, it's not a pathology. It's not something to be fixed by a doctor. It is something that you have no control over. This is spirit working through you to bring another life into the world. And when we start the conversation with that, it makes it so much easier to just, just to kind of go with the flow, and to consider if you have a, a an experienced birth keeper at your birth to like also realize that hey, they might have some information here for you that will keep you and your baby safe if that's the the you know the route you would take is going to the hospital. So um, I'm not sure if I answered your question there, but it really did kind of um, solidify the essence of like what birth is for me and and that is important as 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 a doctor especially who's counseling people in pregnancy all day long so um yeah
0: you exceeded my expectations on that question you went well <laughs> above and beyond i'm sitting here like yes 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 all of these you know bells are ringing internally for me as you're describing and sharing everything that you did and w- what i love about this conversation and what i feel like it offers in terms of not just wisdom and knowledge but then also on an energetic level and what's possible and the space that you hold on one hand you are a partner sharing your perspective of your birth experiences and you are venerating and speaking to the majesty I love how you use that word I'm like so about words like weren't word, like I I have like word porn so I love I'm like yes that is amazing um you're speaking to that in terms of how you're witnessing stephanie how you're witnessing this co-creative process this these joint agreements that are going on right but uh, on the other side of the veil and then as they come into this this iteration this time space right. reality so you're sharing it from that perspective like as a partner and then you have the the medical practitioner brain that you can apply. And then there's also been your own journey of that and integrating that into a space that works for you, aligns with your spirit, but then you also see it as a way to help heal and support others. Like all of this is at play right now as you're describing all of this. So you you represent so many different facets of a witnesser of birth, an observer of birth being present in it. And then also from a practitioner and a space holder perspective, yeah. this is just like, woo. <laughs> Woo, like I hope people know what they are getting right now by listening to this. There's got to be so many pause rewinds to this conversation because that's just how juicy it is. I love it. Yeah. And so how, no. go ahead.
1: No, 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 go. No, it's, well, it's all you.
0: I'm wondering how this now translates and weaves into where you're at in your practice, where you're at in, in how you are holding space for, for birth and what you're up to. Cause as we mentioned at the top, it's shifted a lot from when we last spoke. So what are you doing right now and how does it look?
1: So yeah, the journey over the past couple of years for me with the medical system has been, um, fraught with issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I was recruited out to Kentucky to practice hospice and palliative care. That's my other specialty. So I sit with birth, I sit with death, and yeah. I do a whole bunch of lifestyle medicine in between. That's my whole practice. So um, when I was recruited out to Kentucky, I thought, well, I'll do some OBGYN work you know, to supplement our income and to collect cases for my oral boards, which are coming up in a month or so. Like the surgical boards that I don't really need to take, but people want to know you're board certified, and I've taken the written version, but I haven't done the oral version. Mm. And the oral version is really like there's a twenty percent fail rate. Like it's it's a it's a nasty test Mm. that everybody dreads, and I don't even need it because I'm not practicing in the hospitals anymore. But um, I you know I had to collect cases. I figured I would take it, and I am going to take it. And so I started doing it in the hospital, but that was before like about seven months into that, I was like, I just can't do this anymore. Like I described earlier. So I, I then stuck with palliative care in the hospital, which is really a chronic um, disease management, had a level of support for cancer patients, et cetera. And then I was also doing some part-time hospice work, which is actual end of life care. So Mm -hmm. while I was at the hospital system that recruited me out there, I um, just didn't, I, I don't want to bash them too much, but there were certain things happening within the um, administration of the hospital that I just could not align with. I actually felt very, very bad about some of the things I was seeing. And so um, we agreed to mutually part ways. We'll just say that. And then um, I went full-time into hospice. This was back in early 2020
0: mm-hmm.
1: that I split from the hospital. And then I went into hospice care. And I did the hospice care until about September of this year. And um, I can just tell you flat out, I was fired for not wearing my mask while talking to a dying person. Mm. And um, just like what I described about birth, I feel almost the exact same way about death. It is a, uh, there is a majesty. There's a sacred transformation of spirit that's happening here. This is not a medical procedure. This is not a medical conundrum for us to figure out. Mortality is the purpose of living. Mm. And you get a period of time to be here. After you've emerged from your mother, you have a period of time to be here to learn and to heal whatever shred of your soul came here, you know, whatever they came here to do, the contract. So at the very end of your life, if you've lived 95 years, you've got pneumonia, you're dying. You don't deserve to not be touched. You don't deserve to not be loved and to be cared for compassionately. And I can't do that without my non-verbal communication. So took my mask down, got fired, which of course I think is complete baloney but I should actually be writing them thank you letters. And I I even considered, should I send them Christmas gifts because I'm so (laughs) grateful to not be in the system anymore? Um, And this also, I'll I'll refer people back to that solo cast I did, which tells the journey of me entering medical school all the way through where I'm at now. And in these past 20 months, I think for a lot of people have really forced us to kind of reconcile, like why do we need a medical system? Like what is the medical system for? Are we over-reliant on this medical system? And I think that's more evident than ever in birth during 2020, you know, because there was concerns about going into the clinic and having people in waiting rooms, the frequency of prenatal visits completely changed. You might go every six or eight weeks instead of every two to four. Mm -hmm. Um, we had to start questioning like, why do we need to be doing all these urine dipsticks? Why do we have to be doing all this other stuff, especially for women who are, uh, you know, in the low risk category, Mm -hmm. which the risk stratification thing is a totally different conversation. Um, but, um, it really made me wonder like, wow, like this is just more evidence that, that women can get great care at home from a midwife and not have to go through all the testing or the unnecessary ultrasounds or whatever else. And some of those things actually might be harmful. So in my, in the, the past 20 months or so, I've also had the bandwidth to really look into like, what's happening with big pharma, what's happening with peer review. And there's a whole bunch of problems. I mean, there's a, there's the, the peer, the, the medical journal Industry, right? We're talking about New England Journal, Lancet, Nature, Cell, whatever. They're largely, their publication bias is being driven by policies that are set by big pharma and big corporations. So, Marsha Engel, she was a former New England Journal senior editor and uh, senior chief, what do they call it? Editor in chief. Mm-hmm chief editor don't whatever the term is <laughs> she even she even acknowledged after she left that position that like for the past 20 years she's had to kind of swallow the fact that the industry is paying them big dollars to publish certain things and to ignore other things mm-hmm. right which is why we have this idea that birth is unsafe that birth yeah. is a pathology that bir- that you need these medicines you need birth control you need surgeries because surgeries help save you from your own mortality And so, you know, there was a book by um, I can't remember the author's name, but the the illusion of evidence-based medicine. I started just really digging into this stuff, along with, um, you know, big pharma spending millions and millions of dollars in medical schools. And then I think back on my training; it's like God, I never learned about anything, any modifiable lifestyle factors of disease. Mm -hmm. I just learned how to give medicines for blood pressure and kidney disease, and blah 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 blah. So. So all of this is to say that my growing doubts about the system were just amplified by a a factor of about a hundred. And um, ultimately that, of course, led us up to a position where it was like, why the hell do we even need to have a baby in the hospital, right? Like I've been preaching this the whole time because the data supports it, Mm -hmm. but is it actually safer to be in the hospital or is it safer to be at home? And I would argue that many women are actually going to do better at home. I mean, truly believe that based on all this other shit that's going on where you know, you've got media outlets that are being paid by Pfizer to tell you certain things. Like, I'm not saying that I believe the blue or the red or anything. I'm saying I'm stepping out and I'm going to use my discernment sure. to kind of figure out how I want to treat people as a healer. Oof. And so now my practice is it's just like this it, I meet with people one on one, we review their birth history, we review their whole pregnancy history. We, um, we talk about what pregnancy means. We ta- I talk to couples about that relationship building that has to happen now. We talk about the yin and yang. We talk about balancing everything out before you're going to have to put some things on hold in order to, to care for and hold space for this little baby in the future. So that's a big part of my practice. It's called belovedholistics.com or you can find me there um, if you're interested in having a very open-minded, but you know, definitely educated <laughs> and uh and well informed OBGYN to help care for you to help you kind of navigate that system and mm-hmm. really provide informed consent and to, and to help you exercise your right to refuse treatment if that makes sense in your case mm-hmm. based on your values. So so right now I'm doing a lot of lifestyle medicine. We're talking about diet, exercise, nutrition, breathing, hydration, sleep mindset, all of those things are a part of my practice. We do chakra balancing, we use some herbalism, some some homeopathy. I'm training anthroposophic medicine, which is a whole separate paradigm as to how to look at at how the body works and how the organs interact and everything else. So I couldn't be happier. That's why I really owe a debt of of gratitude to the company that fired me because it really forced me to consider like, how do I want to be spending my time with patients? And I want to be with them in their, in the safety of their own homes and caring for them for the purpose not of fixing the symptom, but really kind of getting to the root of the problem and helping them create lasting vitality mm-hmm. for for the rest of their life,
0: what a catalyst for all of that. That is, yeah, that is amazing. and this this support that you're offering for parents, there is all of that. But then there's also support that you're offering for birth workers as well, right? For out of hospital yeah. settings. is can you share a little bit about that?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm glad you asked. Um, so I have a collaborator program. I, I, I initially was thinking, hey, I'm going to go and take care of people like you in the home and I'm going to mm-hmm. attend your birth and just call me when when you're in labor or whatever else. And then I realized I could do that. I have perhaps the training to do that. But am I the right person to be doing that? In mm-hmm. some regards, I kind of feel like having a a white man as your primary birth ge- keeper is probably not necessarily in alignment with most people energetically. Mm. Um, but there are plenty of midwives. And I, I don't mean that as a yeah. generalization. I just feel like I bring a lot of masculine energy into the space. And sure. if somebody does want me to attend their birth, I will. Mm-hmm. But what could I do instead of advertising myself as a part of the home birth scene? What if I actually took a step back and provided the needed support for midwives, especially in my part of the world, which is in Kentucky, Appalachia area? What if I actually just took a step back, gave people my phone number and let them reach out anytime they needed anything? And I don't mean patients. I mean, midwives, yeah. doulas, birth educators, home birth docs, whoever. So they could say, hey, listen, this, my patient was having some headaches here or labs. Should I be concerned about preeclampsia? Should we be doing anything different? And I give them my my honest ass- ascertainment an, an assessment based on what I would do if it was me in that position. I provide the education to the midwife or whoever. I also have a lot of health coaches in the program. And then they take that back to the patient so that the patient can look at all of the information and make an informed decision. And if they decide, hey, I don't think I'm going to do a home birth anymore. I'm going to go to the hospital. Fair enough. But most of the time, because they're being given the information, they realize, okay, it's my job to figure this out. They've recommended I do this. Is that in alignment with me? It is in alignment with me. So let's go this way. Mm. Or they might say, you know what? I understand there's risks. I'm actually going to go this way instead. And that, as as birth attendants, as medical care professionals, like that's actually our job. It's not to tell you that I'm the captain of the ship and you're going to do it my way or, or take the highway. It's my job to really hold space for this process. There's not a right answer mm-hmm. as to how to have a baby or how to fix your chronic pelvic pain or whatever else. I do a lot of non non maternity care, and um, and so collaborators from across the spectrum now uh, they communicate with me through a um, an encrypted messaging service like signal or telegram. They send me labs mm. and my, um, and, and within the program, I have three levels. One is it's a basic level. You actually just get access to all of my notes. It's my summaries of every ACOG and ASRM practice guideline. Um, and then the silver level, you get the, the one-on-one clinical help with clinical decision-making. And then at the gold level, I'll also order labs, imaging medications wow. at times at my discretion. Um, and we do a uh, we're going to change it to twice a month now peer review where anybody in the gold level can actually get together in a zoom call like this and for an hour <clears throat> we share cases we share obstacles we share just um, interesting cases and and kind of talk it through so that everybody can kind of give their input and and then that midwife can can be become a little bit of a better midwife Jumba.
0: What I love about that is the scalability factor, not just from a business yeah. standpoint, but I mean in a, from an energetic standpoint, the scalability, right. the, the ripple can be, can be far greater by you being able to be a support to any That's kind exactly of birth right. worker or a practitioner or to your point, you know, health coach even who... That might not be some aspects of this might not be their skill set. And it doesn't have to be. They can utilize. And so what I love, in addition to a lot of the practice, what you preach examples you, you set and are and are being, are walking, you know, you walk your talk. You know, we we suggest that to parents and to mothers, you know, utilize the village, right. collaborative care in all aspects of life. This is you doing that now. With providing the care, providing the you yeah. know if needed medical intervention or or, or medical expertise or or modalities, um, but this this collaborative approach, this is birth workers because birth workers are out there burnt the fuck out, right? A lot right. of them, and I right. get it, and a lot of them are in the weeds doing it themselves, um, but you don't have to. So so systems like this, and I would love to see more like this pop up throughout the country, throughout the world where there can be this collaborative approach, you know, not this competitive thing where it's really about the family centered care and, you know, everyone bringing their skill sets to the table and providing the best experience because that's you know ultimately what everyone wants. But when we're all spliced out, you know, in our own islands and, you know, you're strapped for resources, you're, you're tied down by policies or even laws, depending on where you are Mm. to have something like this. It's, it's really matching and mirroring then the ideal care you want to be providing to the yeah. the patients or clients.
1: So yeah, I I think an Im- important corollary to this to this conversation is that you know when you consider licensure, it's a really complicated topic. Licensure amongst midwives mm. because you're licensed by the state to provide a very specific set of of um, of guidelines, uh, or I, I should say, a very uh, specific set of of care practices within parameters that are set by some legislators, right? So if let's say a person has a, their uterus is not measuring adequately, right? Like, oh, you're, you're, you're 34 weeks, but your uterus is only measuring to 31 weeks or something like that. It's maybe a bad example, but anything you were to find as a midwife or a doula or whatever else, a midwife is in particular, I guess is relevant here. Um, you're then really bound to refer that patient to see an OBGYN. Mm-hmm. If the OBGYN then says, hey, you're now a high risk patient based on whatever the hell their practice guidelines are in their in their group of practicing doctors or whatever. Now the midwife is actually obligated to, um, to push them out of their practice okay. and force them to be in the hospital practice. And that, that doesn't mean you're going to have an ob that's like, oh, you don't want to have a hospital birth. I'll just be at your home birth. Like it doesn't work like that. You're okay. now Kind of stuck within the system unless you're going to go totally rogue mm-hmm. and have a free birth, or you're going to have a midwife who's on last license that you find somewhere else last minute to come mm-hmm. and attend your birth. So the idea here is like, hey, a midwife reaches out. You know, the fundal height isn't isn't measuring quite right. I'm I'm not very suspicious of a of a tiny baby. It's just a she's very small. The patient is. I think it's just a constant, constitutionally small baby. Um, what I would do is then I, I'd say, hey, let's just order an ultrasound to the local imaging center we get the report, shows the baby's growing just fine. You don't even get have to go to the OBGYN practice because, because and, and, and by doing so, you, you avoid that inevitable bad news that now the midwife can't legally, with based on the limitations of her license, continue to be your, mm-hmm. your birth keeper. And there's no way that she's going to attend her home birth because she could go to jail yep. for practicing outside of the boundaries of her license. So it's a very, very easy way, you know, for a very reasonable fee for midwives to keep people in their practice and for patients to actually, if they were to say, hey, listen, listen can you collaborate with Dr. Riley? Because I want to make sure that I have every shot possible at attending or at, at, um, having my baby at home. This just allows you to step around that whole process of the consultation because I'm now your consultant. Yeah. So I provide the information we maybe some, order some of these things, then the patient can make a real decision about what they want to do. And um, it's working quite well. It's actually quite exciting. I, I feel very, very um, blessed to be able to provide that service to people.
0: That's so awesome. So awesome. And and that there are other examples of of doctors, you know, reaching across to, to collaborate in other ways. I mean, Dr. Stu Fishbein, um, Dr. Brad Boots-Taylor, you know, it's, it's happening. And so I want to put more energy around it and put more voices to it and, and share just what the amazing things that you all are doing. I'm so, so inspired. I would, I would love for you to share as we kind of wrap up here, um, a couple of resources or people that you would recommend those who are listening, who are like, I'm totally in on everything that you're saying. I'm going to go check out your podcast. I'm going to go check out your website. Where else can I go for people or content that is similarly aligned to you? What would you suggest?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't have a great answer for that, except that um, in my journey to create this this podcast, you know, and I formerly had a podcast called the ob wino podcast, mm-hmm. which is really kind of dedicated towards summarizing ACOG's practice bulletins for busy OBGYNs and other birth workers. And I realized that my audience was growing in the doula and, and midwife community so much because I was speaking about holistic lifestyle practices and blah, blah, blah. And it really had nothing to do with ACOG. And so I've re kind of started over now. And um, my podcast is called the Holistic OBGYN. And what I'm trying to do is actively seeking out other voices that have something to contribute to this space. Mm. So every single person that I have on my show has something to contribute to the care of women. Mm. And it might be, you know, it might be the quality of your water and how we can structure and charge water, you know, using using um, ports and using um, charging stations. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much to talk about there. But um, also, breath work and also the nutritional aspect, and bringing on midwives who've been doing this for a long time, some of which have survived, you know, were threatened by the medical system and they actually survived, right? I was going to be their expert witness. The district attorney of, or, or uh, the attorney general of the state decided to drop the charges, and now she's free to practice again. So, like, these are the voices that I think are really important. Interestingly, the people that are doing the best work. Are not putting out a lot of content because they're mm-hmm. actually sitting with patients. You, yeah. don't, you don't have time to have a podcast yeah. if you're sitting <laughs> with four women laboring throughout the month. Like that's a that's a job, that's a full-time job. So um, you know, there are a variety of midwives that I think are doing really, really good work. I mm-hmm. think Laura Doyle in Northern California Ask Midwife 707, I think is the name of her podcast. She's doing great work. Augustine Cole, Colebrook remains a legend in the space. Maren Green's a good friend of mine. We have Marin. a podcast together that everybody should know about Love called um, the one about the midwife and the OB where we just have earnest conversations. And sometimes we even disagree on things mm. within our, our practices, but it's like a we set a timer for 20 minutes. We knock out a topic and then and then that's it. And it's really an earnest conversation between an experienced birth keeper, far more than just a midwife. Marin Green is yeah. a Is a witch. She is the goddess herself, you know, embodied. She's Mm -hmm. an incredible woman. Um, uh, Stu Fishbein and Bliss Young, their podcast Mm -hmm. remains kind of like the gold standard for the review of literature around home birth, and so I always recommend. um, I think their podcast is called "Birthing Instincts" Mm -hmm. podcast. Um, Brad Boots Taylor, you know, he lost his position at his hospital, and he wrote a great book called. shared decision making i think is what he called it i can't remember the title but we'll have to link it in the show notes yeah, he's become I can a good friend of mine he was um, my backup ob what's that
0: should we have should we have had to transfer he was our backup
1: oh right so on. he worked yeah, with our midwives I mean, yep what a what a um talk about having an open mind Brad boots taylor yeah. is comes from a very sh- unusual background he was a green beret he's like a tough guy military dude and he ended up is as an mfm with with uh, with ideas that are so perplexing to the community that it's mm. like, how could you possibly counsel your patients about this stuff? Mm. He's like, cause that's my job, <laughs> which I love about him. Um, I think Dr. Tracy Vogel is doing really good work. She's an OB anesthesiologist. Um, I'll have to get you the link to her website, but she cool. focuses on informed uh, um, informed consent in the setting of, of trauma-informed birth care, because her role as an anesthesiologist, she's faced with a lot of people's fears, you know, yeah. and, and, Um, you know, you're rolling back into the OR and the only person you're seeing is Tracy while you're behind a a blue curtain and a baby's dystopically being removed from your belly and your arms are strapped crucifixion style. She's kind of gotten rid of most of those things in her hospital. And she actually has a program where they just do trauma-informed care of women before and after birth. It's a pretty remarkable thing that she's Mm -hmm. doing. She has some, um, uh, some trauma specific training as well that she's kind of taken upon herself. Mm. I think those are some really, really good resources. Um, uh, Marion Green and Margot Blackstone have a midwifery school, Indie Birth, and most of the midwives that come out of there are, are phenomenal people. Yeah. So I think that's a really good way. Uh, another good um, resource for anybody—they have a book as well. It's called um, Indie Birth: A Radical Birth Story, I believe, is the name of their book. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I mean, I could go on and on and on. I, I learned so much from midwives over my training that it—it it just forced me to reconcile how am I doing this work as an OBGYN when everything that I do is in alignment with midwifery care? So I would never call myself a midwife, but Mm -hmm. my big goal is really to see a resurfacing and a predomination of the maternity care space in North America by midwives, period. The midwifery care model is what has to come back. We took it, us rich white guys, took it from midwives long ago, took um, the care of women from women, and we need to restore that. And I know that that's something that I'm I'm saying from a place of privilege. But damn it, I'll use my privilege for that purpose then.
0: Nathan, <laughs> I love you. You're so amazing. I love. I you love- too. I just appreciate um, I'm going to include all those resources so everyone's like who was that name what was that book what was that thing I'll get it all sorted out for you and I'll put the list in there so don't you worry <laughs> um, and I'm so excited to send people to, to your podcast um, to your space to your community and just to see how it continues to grow and flourish and I'm excited for more conversations for us to have I'm excited to be in person together in some capacity we're going to get all these amazing folks together and create some sort of space where we can all hang out because I would absolutely love that. Um but I'm just I'm filled with gratitude and I'm filled with a lot of excitement around the possibilities. Yes, there are the things that we can highlight that um are less than awesome and kind of, you know, that that scarcity mindset. I get it and can put us into that fear space uh, around it. Um but the fears that we're being fed, it's not about fighting those fears with more fear. It's about, right. you know, rising right. and and creating from from, you know, our true authentic selves. And that's what I see you yeah. doing. And so I, I think that's what yeah. just has me so attracted to the the space and everything that, you sh- that you're doing. And I'm so honored to share it here um, at doing it at home. So um, in in closing, is there any last words or things that you would like to share with us or direct our attention to?
1: Yeah, there is one more project I'm working on that I wanted to, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about this because I'm having dreams about it. I see it in my, when I sit with medicines in ceremony, I see it in my meditations, in my Tai Chi, there's something that's, it has been manifested. It's just a matter of putting it together. I'm going to open a birth and death retreat center in five, six years Mm. on 200 acres of land with natural running, clean water with fertile soil um, amongst the trees, amongst the birds, the plants, the bees, adjacent to biodynamic fields, regenerative agriculture and livestock stewardship. Um, And we're going to demonstrate, we don't have to burn the system down. We just need to create a life raft. So we're going to demonstrate how can babies be born into this world in the most responsible, ethical, and empowered way possible. And that's really going to rely on us to reconnect with nature, with our roots, like literally reconnecting with, with mother nature, capital M, capital N, and um, which is in direct relationship to source, to spirit. And so bringing spirituality back into birth and death is kind of my jam. And so everything from the architecture, biophilic design, biogeometry, water charging, maintaining adequate soil health and having everything in one space where we can do workshops, we can host retreats. We can do it all in one space, have Alex and Allison Gray come and do some psychedelic artwork on the, on the roof. I mean, like do everything that we could possibly imagine to to create the most healing environment possible because even our homes are not the the best places for healing with all the EMF and all of the city water and the fluoride and all this other stuff. Like why can't we just care for people in their most vulnerable state, giving them the best resources we have, Um, which will also then takes the onus off of the medical professionals to do everything they can to avoid death. It really allows us to hold space for the process while feeding the body and the soul in the most nourishing way possible. So I call it the portal, the, the portal retreat, and there's going to be a website portalretreat.org. I need about twenty million dollars to make this happen, so um, I'm working on that part. But um, I just want everybody to kind of know that that space is going to be emerging as the Eden that we can all imagine, where where babies are born not with bright lights and distractions and needle sticks, but with singing and sound bowls and amber lights and. Everything down to the texture of the carpet and the comfort of the beds and the and the mattresses and I mean just having a really really healing space mm-hmm. in order to demonstrate that hey if we want to change the world we need to change the way that babies are coming in we need to change the way that we care and love for one another and not uh, and, and not be further dividing one another we need to really really reel it in mm. and um and start leading with love and compassion and that's what the center is all about.
0: Well, I will hold that intention in my womb space for you because. Yes. And now just by sharing it here, <laughs> planting that seed, you know, just to, to magnify the the energy and the intention around that. So amen to yeah. that. I'm really excited to see how this unfolds and everything else with you. So Nathan Riley, thank you again. Appreciate you.
1: Thank you, sir. It's my pleasure. Thanks again for doing what you guys do. So grateful.